So we've been doing a series that we've called Navigating a Confusing Culture. And we recognize that we do live in a confusing culture. There are lots of questions and lots of things that we're trying to work through. So far in this series, we've seen that when we are trying to deal with issues that are confusing, one of the things that we need to do is focus on the gospel and ask, what does the gospel do in, in line with this? How do I line up with the truth of Jesus? And, and we said that if Jesus saves us from our sin, and we know that one of the choices ahead of us is sin, then why would we want to go and do something that's sinful? And so that's part of the way that we can apply the gospel to the, our confusing culture and making those decisions. Another thing that we talked about last week is loving God, because you can do the right thing, but for the wrong reason. And so it's not just doing the right thing, it's also loving God with all that you are, every molecule of your body, every part of your soul, just I love God and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And this week we're going to look at that same passage, but to look at another emphasis that Jesus makes. And this is from Matthew chapter 22, verses 30. Four through 40, the scene is that Jesus has just put a religious group called the Sadducees in their place, and now these Pharisees are coming and they're going to try to trip him up. And here's what we read. When the Pharisees heard that he, that is Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we're thankful that you speak to us. By the Holy Spirit, speak to us now. That we would hear and we would respond with real faith, with real repentance, turning, changing our minds to turn to you and turn away from our sin. And give us real obedience that we would reflect your glory the way we were meant to. Amen. So we've been talking about confusing things, and uh, when it comes to confusing things, I think the U.S. tax code probably tops the list. I don't know if you've ever tried to figure out anything about the U.S. tax code, but it is not easy to figure out. In fact, uh, all the way back in 1977, and a lot has changed since then, all the way back in 1977, then-President Jimmy Carter said that the U.S. tax code was, and I quote, a disgrace 
to the human race. More recently, former U.S. Representative Dave Camp of another, an, another political party, he's of Michigan, he liked to say the tax code is 10 times the size of the Bible with none of the good news. <laughs> uh, that is a funny quip. It's not exactly true, because I looked this up. The U.S. tax code, it's only about three times the size of the Bible, not 10 times. And if you're able to wade through all of this, you might find something that might benefit you. So there's at least a little bit of good news, but not as good as what the Bible has, sure. I'll give him that. In an interview with NPR, uh, Deborah Shank, I hope I said her name correctly, uh, professor of NYU School of Law, an editor-in-chief of the Tax Law Review, so she knows what she's talking about, she was asked, why is the U.S. tax code so complex? And her answer is this, quote, we're a very sophisticated, complex economy, and that requires a very sophisticated tax system. But then she quickly adds that the government's attitude has a lot to do with the complexity. And she says, any problem we want to solve, they use the tax code. And so the result is that every year it gets more and more complex. And since the tax code keeps growing in complexity, people find it more and more confusing. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like our cultural moment. Every year, there's more complexity in our society. With every passing day, it seems, there's more and more complexity, and then it gets more and more confusing. Think about just one thing, technology. Technology has helped our society in many ways, so don't, don't hear me saying technology is bad. But it does come with a cost. If you read the studies, depression and anxiety is the new epidemic that is sweeping our country, and most experts attribute it to the rise of technology because we all have a little computer in our pocket that we pull out at any moment. And somehow, in some way, that's causing us to be more disconnected from one another. And because of that, we start feeling depressed and anxious. And that's just one area in our modern society, right? When you think about politics, complicated. Relationships, complicated. Morality and ethical concerns, they've gotten more complicated. Even knowing whether the news we're hearing is true or not has become complicated. Everything around us seems to be growing more and more complex with every passing year, and therefore it becomes more confusing how to navigate it. Life can be confusing, yes. 
and loving our neighbors helps us to navigate that confusion. That's what we're going to talk about today. Life can be confusing, but loving our neighbors helps us to navigate that confusion. Let's take a look at this passage together from Matthew. So again, Jesus has just talked to the Sadducees and sort of silenced them. And so the Pharisees come on board in verse 34, and they hear about this. And so they gather together, and they're plotting a plan of trying to trap Jesus. Then in verse 35, one of them, a lawyer, asks him a question to test him. Now notice, he's not asking the question because he really wants to know the answer. He's asking the question to try to trap Jesus, to try to test him. So in verse 36, here's his question. Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? What's the greatest commandment? If you could pick one commandment out of all of Scripture, what's the most important one? And Jesus says to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. A quote from Deuteronomy 6. This is the great and first commandment. Now, that should have been the end, right? Because the guy only asked one question. And the question was, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important commandment? And Jesus said, this is it. End of discussion. It should have stopped. But Jesus quickly says, verse 39, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The guy didn't ask what the second most important question was. He only asked what the first most important question was. So here's Jesus saying, don't forget this one. There is another commandment that's important. It's not as important as love God as with everything you are, but it is important. It's so important. It's the second one. It's right underneath. And then he says in verse 40, on these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Everything that's been written in the scriptures, every single thing can be hung on these two commands. Love God, love your neighbor. I don't know about you, but I find it so fascinating that Jesus jumps in with a second most important. It's almost as if he knows he's talking to religious people who like to use I love God language while treating people like trash. Because that's what religious people can do. Let's be honest. We've probably all done it. It's easy to say, I'm loving God by doing this, which means I can treat you badly. But that's what Jesus is trying to say. Nope, nope, that is not right. Loving God and loving neighbor. There are two commands. Both are important. One is more important than the other, but you can't ignore the second one. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. But I do want to go back to our initial question. When you're looking at the complexity of life and you have a question as to, should I go this way or should I go that way? One of the questions we need to ask is, how do I love the people around me by my choice? Not necessarily how do I love myself 
or what's best for me, but how do I love the people around me by my choice? That's part of what Jesus wants us to see in this passage. And more specifically, it's not just loving others, loving our neighbors. It is to love our neighbors, to love others as we love ourselves. That's what we're called to do. We are called to love others as we love ourselves. Not just to love others, but to love others as we love ourselves. As we see in verse 39, Jesus quotes and he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now he's getting this from Leviticus, which is kind of funny if you've ever read Leviticus. But he's saying this is the second most important command, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I don't know about you, but I love myself a lot. I make sure that I am taken care of every day. I make sure I get my meals. I make sure that I stay hydrated. I make sure I get my coffee every morning. And I try my best to keep myself away from anything that might harm me. Right? We all naturally love ourselves. And Jesus says, love your neighbor the way you love yourself. Now there's always somebody who's saying, but Stuart, what if we don't love ourselves? You know, I'm one of those people, I don't love myself. You know, I hate myself. I despise myself. I, don't, I just don't like myself at all. You know, we, we are a, a culture that has been infected with the whole Whitney Houston greatest love of all. And if you don't know that reference, I'm sorry. But uh, there was back in the 80s, there was a song by Whitney Houston called The Greatest Love of All. And you know what the greatest love of all is? Learning to love yourself. So let me address this just for a minute. This isn't really what Jesus is addressing. He assumes we already love ourselves. So he's not, he's not really addressing this, but I, I want to just take a, a moment to say this. There is a difference between loving yourself and being happy with yourself. We all love ourselves because we all say, I want what's best for me. That's at the bottom level what love is really about. You want the best for someone that you love. And if you love yourself, you want what's best for you. And you may not be happy with yourself. I'm not happy with the way I look. I'm not happy with the way my voice sounds. I'm not happy with my personality. I'm not happy with my life. I'm not happy with all these things. But you know why you're not happy? It's because you want the best for yourself, which is love, self-love. I want what's best for me. I love myself, so I want what's best for me. But I'm not happy with the way my life has turned out. Do you see the difference there? It, 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 it's, not that, it's not that you hate yourself. We say words like that, but what we're really saying is I'm not happy with my life. I love me, but I'm not happy with the way things have turned out. I'm not happy with how I am. I wish I was different, but I'm not. That's what we're really saying. Underneath not being happy 
with ourselves is a love of self that says, I want what's best for me, but I don't think I'm getting it. So what Jesus is saying is that we all have this natural ability to love ourselves. We all want what's best for ourselves. Now we need to turn that outside and look at other people and saying, what's best for other people? What's best for the people that God brings into my life? How do I love them the way I would love myself? We may not be happy with other people either, but wanting the best for them rather than putting them down, rather than slamming them, rather than talking as if we are awesome and they stink. So when you're confused about what to do in a confused culture... Ask yourself, how do I love the people around me like I love myself? How do I love people in such a way that I'm caring for them and I want what's best for them? And you're getting at what Jesus is saying here. Now I promised that we would deal with this issue about religious people how religious people sometimes hide behind love God and that gives them the ability to treat others badly. Well, we actually can address that from the scriptures because you see loving neighbor and loving God are not opposing choices. Loving your neighbor loving others, and loving God. They're not opposing choices. It's not like if you, have a, if you have a confusing situation in front of you and you can either love God or you can love your neighbor, you have to make a choice. That's not the way it works. God has designed things so that if you really love God, you're also going to love your neighbor. And if you really love your neighbor you're also going to love God. It's not an opposing choice. I mean, think about what Jesus has already said. There are two commands, love God, love your neighbor. So right off the top, he's saying that's the first and the second. Don't forget those things. But we also see another passage of scripture. Think about what John says in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, it's at this point that I know religious people say, but wait a second, God's a lot more than just love. And and you're right but God is not less than love. Yeah, God may be more than just love, but he is not less than love. And if we want to know what it is to be like God, we must know what love is. And we must demonstrate love in our lives if we want to reflect him. But there's even stronger statements, I think, in the scriptures about loving our neighbors and how that connects. And I've I've addressed these passages before, so I won't spend too much time on them, but I do want to point them out one more time to you. 
Paul says in Romans 13.9, listen to what he says. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment, any other commandment that God has given can be summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's not just love God sums up everything, it's also love neighbor sums up everything. Because when you are acting the way you were designed to act, when you are living the way you were designed to live, when you are speaking the way you were designed to speak, when you are thinking the way you were designed to think, everything about you is going to show love to neighbor and love to God. Again, they're not opposing choices. And, and Paul says the exact same thing in Galatians 5.14. He says, for the whole law, everything that God has commanded is fulfilled in one word, in one command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. When I am loving God above everything else, I am loving my neighbor because I'm showing them an example of how I'm supposed to live. When uh, Paul mentioned about the fourth commandment today, about keeping the Sabbath holy and resting, when I do that, I am loving neighbor because then I'm giving them an example of, hey, we're all to rest and worship. We all need that. So at the very bottom level, even whenever we're obeying God, we are given an example. But then there's other commands like the uh, do not commit adultery. That's obvious how, you know, Loving your neighbor, you don't steal their wife or their husband. You know, do not murder, hey, don't take their life. That's not really loving. Don't steal, hey, don't take something that doesn't belong to you. That's not loving to your neighbor. Don't even covet, because if you're thinking about, I really wish I had what so-and-so had, you're not thinking the best of them and being happy for them, that they have something. Even if you don't have it, God has blessed them, and I can be happy and joyful about that. You see, Jesus said very clearly, on these two commandments, not just love God, but also love neighbor, on both the commands depend all the law and the prophets. And this is the same thing that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 12, when he says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You want to know what love looks like? Ask yourself, how do I want to be treated? Treat others the same way. So, Whenever we have a question in front of us and we're trying to decide, which way do I go? What do I do with this? We need to ask, am I loving God with everything that I am? And am I loving my neighbor the way I love myself? Let's be brutally honest. None of us do this great, right? Nobody in this room, myself included, none of us can say, I got an A plus on loving God and loving my neighbor. Because we all fall short. We all miss the mark. We all are self-focused 
such that we ignore God and we ignore others. And there are moments where we might come out of that shell, but even then, sometimes we come out of that shell because we want something from God or we want something from someone else. We're so self-focused. So you might be going, good grief, if that's the way it is, how in the world am I supposed to love God with everything that I am and love my neighbor as myself? How do I do that? That's a great question, and I'm glad you asked. Because there is good news. In fact, there's great news. We are enabled to love others because of the lavish love God has for us in Christ. You want to know how to love others? To love them as you love yourself? Look at the lavish love that God the Father has given to us sinners in Christ We talked about this verse last week, but let's hit it again. Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't when we had our act together. It wasn't when we cleaned ourselves up and got all pretty. It wasn't when we were doing everything right and abiding by all the rules and God said, oh, look, Stuart's doing everything right. I guess I'll love him. That's not the way it worked. It's while we were messing up, while we were sinners, while we were going astray, while we were doing all these things wrong, that's when God said, here's my love for you, and I'm showing it to you by giving you my son who will die in your place and take your failures your shame, your sin on himself to not only take away the penalty, which is death, but also to give you life. Life that's abundant. Life the way it was meant to live. Life the way God designed us in the first place to be. To love him and to love others. When you think about that lavish love, you can't help but think, wow, if God loves me that much, I want to love him, and I want to grow to be like him, and then I want to love others the way he's loved me. One of my favorite things to point out to all of us is a a thought that occurred to me a few years ago, and it changed the way that I thought about God. And we like to talk about forgiveness of sin as a church. And that's that's important. Forgiveness of sin is, is vitally important. If I have wronged you, and then you come to me and you say, I forgive you, that's huge. That's powerful, right? And for the God of the universe to say, I forgive you, that's huge. That's powerful. But it's not just that. Because God could have said to every one of us, yeah, you messed up, I forgive you, but I think it's best we go our separate ways. Yeah, I forgive you, 
but I would really rather not see you again. I forgive you, but I don't trust you enough to be in a relationship with me. What does God say to us? 1 John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. God doesn't just forgive. He says, I want you to be my child. I want you to be in my family. I want you to be my adopted baby. And I will nurture you and care for you and love you forever. In fact, so much so that Paul the Apostle says in Romans 8, 38 and 39, and listen to these words with fresh ears if you've you've heard this before, and if you've never heard it before, hear it and rejoice in it. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, including you, can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that is amazing news. You're saying that God so loved me and people like you and people like us all over the world that not only did he give his son to forgive our sins, not only did he adopt us into the family, but he says there is nothing, nothing in all creation that can take you away from me. Nothing can take you away. Not death, not sickness, not anything. Even if you go astray, I'm coming to bring you back. Because that's what a good shepherd does. He lays his life down for the sheep and he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one to bring it back in. That's our Jesus. That's our God. And if we've experienced that kind of love, how could we not love him? And how could we not say, I want to love other people the way that I've been loved? So if you, if you need an action point for today, here's, here's one. When you're facing confusing issues, practice neighbor love. Practice loving your neighbor. And if you're still thinking, well, how do I do that? Let me give you a few thoughts. A few thoughts that have helped me, at least. Again, Matthew 7, verse 12. I think Jesus spells this out really well. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Okay, so loving others means how would I want to be treated? I want to treat other people that way. Let's think about a few things. Everybody loves to be heard. Right? Everybody wants to be listened to. When they speak, everybody wants someone to show them some attention and not just dismiss what they have to say, not just go, oh, no, no, you just don't understand. Everybody wants to be heard. 
You want to be heard. So listen. In our society today, that is one of the best ways we can show love to people. Just listen. Listen to what they have to say. You don't have to agree with what they say. You don't have to pull it all in and say, oh, okay, well, if they said that, I must agree. No, listen to show love. Another way to show love to people, to uh, treat others the way we want to be treated, nobody likes people talking about them behind their back. You know, one of the things that like, can cause me anxiety is to know people are talking about me behind my back and not know exactly what they're saying, but I know it's not good. So how do I try to apply that? I try not to talk about you guys behind your back. I try not to talk about my family behind their back. I try not to say bad things about people when I'm not talking to them face to face. That's a great way to show love to our neighbors. If you have something to say, say it to their face. And if you can't say it to their face, maybe don't say it. Speaking of that, I know there's always people who say, but Stuart, yeah, listening, that's fine. And not talking about people behind their back is fine, but you know, to really love somebody, you got to tell them the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts, and you got to tell them stuff that hurts. And yeah, you know, you're right. You are absolutely right. Telling people the truth about what's going on in their lives. If there's something wrong with them, telling them can be a loving thing. If I have, forgive this analogy, I'm sorry, this illustration, but if I have a booger hanging out of my nose, I do not want you to ignore it and to not say anything. I want you to say, hey, you got, you, you got a little something. You got a little something right here. I want you to tell me that. Because it's embarrassing to walk around with that nasty stuff hanging out of somebody's nose, right? But what I don't want you to do is to make a spectacle of it. Stuart, you got a booger hanging out of your nose and it's gross. Stop that. You got to clean that thing up, man. That's gross. I can't even look at that. You don't do that. No, you treat people with respect and kindness and care and compassion. You say, you got a little something. Hey, man, here's a tissue. Something along those lines. Now I'm, now I'm concerned I've got a booger in my nose. <laughs> But that's what we do. If you want to love somebody by telling them the truth, tell them the truth in a loving way. Care for them. And then finally, <laughs> you want to love your neighbor? It's one thing to point out how they're living their life wrong. It's another thing to say what is the cure. And see, we think that the cure of people doing things wrong is telling them that they're doing something wrong. That is not the case. It's part, of the, it's part of how we diagnose things. We say, hey, you have cancer, right? 
You have to, they have to know the bad news. But you've got to do more than just that. You want to love your neighbor well, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about the one who can cure the disease that they have called sin. Tell them the, about the one who came to die in their place and to rise from the dead to give them life abundant. Tell them the good news of Jesus. Point them to him. Y'all are going to think this is crazy, but last night I had this discussion with, uh, with Joel Chandler. I don't know, if, is he in the room? He went out? Okay. So I can talk about him. <laughs> no, I just said we can't talk about somebody behind their back. So no, uh, Joel and I were talking, and he told me something I had never known. The most frightening thing I've ever heard in my life about this disease that you get from a tick. A tick disease that is called, I think it called, the, the, the syndrome that you get from it is called alpha-gal syndrome. And I had never heard of this before, but it frightened me, and I don't want to go in the woods ever again <laughs> because of this. You know what alpha-gal syndrome does? It can cause you to be allergic to meat. And I'm like, hold on, Joel, you're telling me that a tick could bite me and something happened in my body and then I can't eat bacon anymore because I'll have an allergic reaction to it? He's like, yeah. And burgers and steak? Yeah. That's frightening to me. <laughs> and, I can t and, and there is no cure to this. There is no cure to alpha-gal uh, syndrome. No cure. You can do, treat some of the symptoms, but you can't cure it. Now, if I had alpha-gal syndrome and I couldn't eat meat and one of you had the cure and you say, hey, Stuart, would you like to be able to eat bacon again? Would you like to be able to eat hamburgers again? I was like, yes, please tell me. And you could give me the cure. Everyone in this room knows the cure to sin. It's Jesus. So don't hold back your love from other people. Let them know the cure to what really ails you is Jesus. That's what we all need. That's what I need. That's what you need. That's what everybody in the world needs. We need the Savior, Jesus. So love your neighbor well by pointing them to Jesus. All right, so by the power of the Spirit and in the name of Christ, let's grow. Let's grow in our love for others. And I'm going to pray that all of us will be able to do that. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you not only to love our God, but we need you to love others. So would you fill each one of us and where we need faith, give us faith. Where we need repentance, give us repentance. Where we need obedience, give us repentance, obedience. But please, Lord, please, Holy Spirit, work in us such that we will grow in love, each and every one of us. And we will put these things into practice and we will love our neighbor well. For your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our one true God, and for the good of other people. Amen.